Hi. Welcome to Creeps and Crime Storytime. My name is Charlie. My name is Sophie. And welcome to another episode. Welcome yes, to another welcome Sunday. Um, yeah, we don't have anything else to talk about, so we're going to get right in. Um, yeah. yeah, so let's go. today's story, mm-hmm. we are going back to 2002. Okay. So I want to start off by saying that this is one of the most famous cases in the UK, um, if you mention the names Holly and Jessica in the UK, people immediately know who you're talking you will about. Heads by saying that, yeah, people know who you're talking about. People, there's a, there's a particular photograph mm-hmm. that we're going to talk about, and we're going to post it on the gram, and everyone knows this photograph. But I don't think this case is massively well known outside of this country no because when i was doing research obviously all of my sources were uk sources because this is where it happened but i looked as well just out of curiosity to see how many other podcasters had done this case because i I just wanted to know how famous it is overseas um I think particularly as well as, like, we know in the UK, like, we know quite a lot of famous, like, American cases. We do. American cases are, like, very much the centre of a lot of podcasts. Yeah, exactly. So I had a look on Spotify just real quick. I had a quick shuffle. And Mm -hmm. I could only find maybe about a dozen episodes done. About, yeah. That's really bizarre. Not many at all. So I don't think outside of the UK people really know who Holly and Jessica are. Um, So I'm hoping that... For our UK listeners, mm-hmm. this will be one of those episodes where it's something you're familiar with already and you cover some ground you already know. Hopefully, mm-hmm. I'll be able to tell you a couple of things that you might have forgotten about. Um, but to anyone listening who's not from the UK and doesn't know this case... You need to know this case. You need to know this case because it actually shaped the way that we do certain things around, like, employment, around children and things like that. There's, it's shaped a lot. Yeah, there's there's legislations and, and inquiries that came in after this that, yeah, it just, it changed a lot of things for a lot of people. And as well, it really did cement that you fucking can't trust anyone yeah, mentality. Yeah, definitely. Because, um, yeah, so this happened in 2002. Um, when this happened, I was 12 mm-hmm. and Sophie was 8. Mm-hmm. And... I remember this happening. I remember it being yeah. on the news. I remember it being in the paper. It was all people would talk about in school. I remember. Yeah. I remember. I like. I went to a Catholic secondary school, and mm-hmm. like I said, I was twelve at the time. And I remember we said prayers in class for Holly and Jessica. Yeah, we said prayers. Yeah, too. yeah, I mean, and it in primary school, but still. Yeah, and like I remember this happening and playing out as it happened. But obviously you only see what you're shown on the media. Mm-hmm. And at 12 years old, I was I was interested, but I wasn't mm-hmm. anywhere near as invested as I would be as an adult. Yeah. So looking into this now, there's a lot of things that I'm seeing about it that we didn't get told Ooh, correctly. So yeah. I'm looking forward to diving into this. Yeah. So like I said, for like the third time, 2002, <laughs> we're going to Soham. And Soham is a small town in Cambridgeshire, England, with a population of only 10,500 people. Ooh, okay. So it's not very big. Mm-hmm. Photos of the town perfectly show off the small town vibe with a quaint little high street, lots of greenery in the surrounding Ooh, areas. If you look at Soham on Google Maps, you'll see like the little town is like a little patch of like the grey where Ooh. it's like these are buildings. And then around yeah. it is just like green. Oh, I need it, that. Moment. Yeah, it's like a little pocket of. I may move there. I may not after hearing this. I don't know. <laughs> um, it's classed as a historical market town. Ooh. So yeah, nice. so it's it's nice. It's a nice little place. It, so it only has two primary schools: one oh. Church of England and one not, and one secondary school. There's it's so small. There's no cinema. It sounds like everyone knows everyone. Oh, this. everyone there's only knows. There's one secondary school. Yeah, there's one secondary school. There's no together. cinema. The closest cinema is in the next town over, which is Eli. Oh. Um, however, rather than being famous for their picturesque antiquities, Soham is instead known for something far more grisly. Mm. UK listeners will know exactly what Soham is known for, but like I said a minute ago, there aren't a lot of international podcast episodes about this case. Mm-hmm. So we have to introduce two little girls, Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman. I remember these names so clearly. Yeah, same. It's, yeah. It's sad. 
It's is, so sad. They should be with us. They is should they, be our age. They are. Yeah. Our age. Holly was born on the 4th of October 1991 to Nicola and Kevin Wells. Nicola and Kevin already had a son, Oliver, so Holly was the perfect addition to that little family. Yeah. And Jessica was born on the 1st of September 1991 to Sharon and Leslie Chapman. That's adorable. Yeah. So when this happened, they were 10, I was 12, and you were 8. So they were right in between our ages. And I remember mum and dad, like, reading every article and yeah. watching mom every... Yeah, hellbent. Yeah, mum was very invested in this. Yeah. And she asked me, do you mind if I have this news on? You know, because it's quite, you know, dark what they're talking about. You yeah. Know, I need to watch this. And I was like, mum, if you need the truth, watch it. <laughs> A little and... eight-year-old, if you need yeah. the truth. <laughs> <laughs> but she was so worried and sometimes she was crying. Yeah, this was... And it was... Yeah, it was so like I I cannot emphasize how enormous this case so was in England yeah. at the time. It put everyone in a massive panic. Yeah, everyone was freaking out. Everyone was stressed. It was mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah, it was huge. So yeah. Anyway, I'm I keep getting distracted. Um, Holly and Jessica were best friends. They mm-hmm. spent so much of their time together, which was especially easy as they lived so close to one another. So Soham is very small. Jessica lived on Brook Street and Holly lived on Red House Gardens. I did look up these addresses on Google Maps yeah. and to walk between the two addresses is about eight minutes. Oh. And that's like Google Maps eight minutes, yeah. so probably like oh. five. Yeah. Just so they me. live really closely together. The two girls also went to the same school. Obviously there's only one, St. Mm-hmm. Andrew's Primary School. The school is also an eight minute walk from Red House Gardens. Mm-hmm. I cannot overemphasize how small this little town is. Everything is really close together. Mm-hmm. And because everything was so small and so local, the community was very tight knit. Mm-hmm. Everyone knew everyone. And it was hard not to in a space as compact and intimate as so on. Like we said, Holly and Jessica were best friends. Jessica had recently been on holiday to Menorca in Spain with her parents, and she brought Holly a little gift while she was there. That's really cute. A necklace with the letter H on it. Oh, How fucking adorable That's is precious. that? And I remember a couple of the pictures that they used in the newspapers. They had like those fun braids you get in your hair when you're on holiday. Oh my God, I strain. love those. Yeah, And then yeah. eventually your hair would like fall off. But what? You know the... The bit of hair that the braid is wrapped around. Yeah. Sometimes mine would just like break. <laughs> it would sort of whittle away at the hair slowly. Oh but I kept it. Because <laughs> I was like, this is really well made. I can't just throw it away. Okay. My hair has fallen off my head. But they had the same ones, and I was like, they are just exactly like me and Charlie. Me yeah. back then I called her Charlie. Yeah, it was Charlotte. Yeah, but yeah, that, yeah. It said it in that bit more like mum needs to know what happened to me <laughs> yeah well like i, I do Is go on to say this later on but they like obviously mm. they were their parents children but very quickly they became like the country's children yes absolutely. they became everyone's children that's and exactly everyone yeah. needed to know what happened as if they belonged to them mm-hmm. so yeah it was just like the little in all the pictures of them parents mm. all over the country saw their fucking kids yeah The girls were both popular at school, and they were bright, friendly, and well-liked. Holly loved music, and Jessica loved to go swimming. On the 4th of August 2002, it was Sunday, like today, and it was a perfect day for a barbecue. Holly's parents had organised one, and a few people were over for lunch. At 11.45am, Jessica left her house on Brook Street, and she brought the necklace from Menorca to give to her bestie. She made it safely to Holly's house and the two girls were joined by their other friend, Natalie Parr. Mm -hmm. While the adults hung out in the garden tending to the barbecue, the girls spent some time inside together playing games on Holly's computer and listening to music. That's really cute. Which is fucking adorable. Very nostalgic. So nostalgic, oh my god. Natalie went home after only about half an hour and Holly and Jessica stayed together because they always did. That was what they liked to do. Later that afternoon, they got changed into matching Manchester United football shirts. Holly had her own, and Jessica wore the one that belonged to Holly's older brother, Oliver. That's adorable. Both girls were huge United fans, and particularly of David Beckham, and his name was on the back of both shirts. That's so cute. How fucking wholesome is that? That's adorable. It's so cute. (laughs) At about four minutes past five, Holly's mum, Nicola, took a photo of the girls in the matching shirts, with an arm around each other's shoulders and a smile on their faces. 
this is a photo that everyone in the UK is familiar with. Mm-hmm. It is in my head right now. You can see and it. Like yeah. everyone, I I would put money down that everyone from this country listening to this right now, when I've said that, has immediately pictured that photo in their head. Yeah. Everyone knows what it looks like. Absolutely. The two girls ate dinner with the grown-ups and then went back to play upstairs a little after 6 p.m. Shortly after that, Polly and Jessica left the house without telling anyone else where they were going oh, or that they were even going out at all. Why? Don't do that. Always tell someone. Always fucking tell someone where you're going. Even if you leave a note, tell someone. Just fucking tell someone. Tell someone or don't go. Yeah, like as a ten-year-old. Yeah. That's so much worse. But even like I'm thirty-two years old, and I always tell someone where I'm going. Same. It's not like a permission thing. No. It's just a someone should know where you are because you never know. I want a paper trail if this is my last message. I mean, I don't actively think that, but I always make sure that someone knows where I am because I know that it's just sensible and it's smart. Mm, Just fucking tell people where you're going. Mm -hmm. Um, They didn't, they didn't say that they were going out. They snuck out because they wanted sweets. Oh, I know. Isn't it just... Checking it as Palmer Violets, refreshing. No, I don't, I doubt it. So basically, let me have a look. So they decided they wanted some sweets and there was a vending machine in the leisure (laughs) centre that they could buy them from. Oh my God, I remember those. How... That's wholesome. So... But that's such a memory for us as well. Because, yeah. like, in, in our leisure centre when we went swimming, yeah, there was a vending machine. And, and like, do you feel safe there? You're like, this is a Yeah, this is where I know. This is know where I've been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. Exactly. Like, everything else in Soham, it wasn't very far away. Mm. It really wasn't. They mm. got there about half six where the staff saw them buying sweets from the vending machine in the entrance lobby. Yeah. The last image of the girls was when they were captured from CCTV crossing the car park of the leisure centre mm. at 17 minutes past six. From mm. there, their movements are pieced together from eyewitness sightings. Wow. In the town centre, they were seen in their distinctive red shirts at about 6.45 by four separate people. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah, I so so a few people saw them. They were wearing the red shirts. It was yeah. there was two of them. It was very like no one else wears these shirts. That's what exactly. So at about eight p.m., Holly's mm-hmm. mom came to invite the girls to say goodbye to the barbecue guests when she mm-hmm. discovered that the bedroom was empty. Ooh, I got chills. That yeah, that's fucking horrible. They yeah. quickly searched the house, and then when they realized they weren't in the house, they were oh. searching the streets around nearby, calling out for the girls and hoping that they were just playing somewhere. Yeah. By the time it got to half eight, she called Jessica's parents to see if the girls had gone to Jessica's house, mm. but Sharon and Leslie hadn't seen them either, and they were getting worried. Oh, yeah. So both sets of parents were getting pretty upset by now, as yeah. you fucking would be. I mean, I can't imagine how terrifying it would be. It would to, be like, like, my last hope would be they're at the other house. Yeah. And then when you call the other house and they're like, we thought they were with you. Yeah. Hearing those words my must be... separate from each other. Like... I wouldn't be able to cope. I can't even imagine... It would feel like, you know that feeling when you feel like all your organs are going to fall out of your butt? Yes. It would feel like that. I know that feeling. I fucking hate that. It's why I have a plug. <laughs> it must just feel, I, oh my God. <laughs> it's too late in the morning for this. Yeah, it is. Where's my coffee? <laughs> it must feel like the ground has fallen away from you. Yeah, definitely. After trying everything they could think of with no luck, they called the police to report the missing at 9.55 p.m. The search began immediately. Soham is such a small, sleepy town, it was incredibly unusual for two girls to go missing in the early evening, when it was still very light outside, on a day where lots of people were outside enjoying the nice weather. Remember, it's August and it's a Sunday, so people are chilling outside, people are having a nice time, exactly. So friends and family nearby joined the police in the search and pretty soon the whole town joined in. Mm. Police started doing door-to-door inquiries asking everyone living there if they had seen the two girls. Members of the public helped police search the entire town and the surrounding areas until the search party included hundreds of volunteers. Wow. The area around Soham has several Air Force bases nearby. Oh, that sounds cool. It is pretty cool. So, I go explore. American Air Force personnel stationed there also assisted in the search. Mm, that's good. Um, people looked for Holly and Jessica through the night, but no trace of the girls was found whatsoever. Calls to Jessica's mobile phone went straight to voicemail. It was either switched off or it had run out of battery. Oh, that's never a good sign. I know, and there was no other way to get hold of them. Mm. Remember, this was 2002. So yeah. there was nowhere near the level of technology there is now. No. Jessica had one of those old Nokias. Ah, you know, the yes. little ones mm-hmm. that, like, that the cool kids had. Yeah. Yeah. I had, like, 
a few versions before that, I think. Yeah. And I liked it, but it wasn't cool. No. But she had one of the cool ones. She didn't have cool films. Um, so people in Soham were freaking out now. Yeah, because it's a really small town. Exactly. This was super weird them? and very frightening. The town was so small, it felt as though everyone had lost a child. Oh. And they'd lost two. It could be anyone's children, and parents felt like their own could just disappear next yeah. to any point. Mm-hmm. You have to remember, children do go missing all the time. Mm-hmm. So they do. They go missing all the time. Children are fucking stupid. But they usually <laughs> get found because children true, yeah. children are dumb. They get yeah. lost. They go playing without telling anyone, and they come home too late when everyone's worried. They yeah. run away, realize it's harder than they thought, and then come mm-hmm. back home. Yeah. But Holly and Jessica didn't come home. They were missing overnight, and that is what's rare in prepubescent children. Mm-hmm. By the next day, people realise this is really fucking serious. Yeah. Officials in the area had already got the media involved, and a news conference was set up in which both sets of parents asked for Holly and Jessica to come home. During this televised conference, all the parents just looked shocked. Like They looked like they were just in a state of shock. Yeah. They were literally just dumbfounded. It must be strange having to say, my children are missing, I need everyone i don't know to help me find them yeah i can't even imagine being in the most stress i've ever been in my life and Mm -hmm. just having like lights on me and cameras and having to function yeah in front of a mic as well yeah lots of mics lots of people wanting to ask questions you're like i just don't know it's really obvious when you watch this press conference that Mm -hmm. they cannot believe that they're in the situation and they're talking about their precious daughters Mm -hmm. the photo that holly's mom took the previous evening of the girls in their matching shirts was used at the conference and the last image of the girls smiling faces arm in arm only hours before they disappeared forever became known by everyone in britain the photo was soon on the cover of every newspaper national and local and was aired on news reports on televisions around the country Mm -hmm. Police spokespeople urged anyone with any information to come forward. So tips came in. People all over the place wanted to report sightings of the gir- of girls that they thought might be them. Oh, yeah. People around the small town thought they'd spotted them. And it was hard for the police to distinguish a timeline as so many people came forward wanting to help. Of course, yeah. So everyone was like, here, I saw this kid and I saw these two girls. <laughs> and But it was like lots of that. So the police were trying to put a timeline together of their movements, but it was very hard because they had so much information and they had no idea which of it was correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some sightings were just literally too far away, mm-hmm. too close in time to when the girls were last seen. So that could be ruled out because they couldn't have got from A to B in like yeah. half an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were ruled out. The girls seemed to have definitely been in the town centre and then vanished. Just literally swept off the That's planet. Really creepy. It's really creepy. Over the next several days, the search for Holly and Jessica intensified even more. Mm. So police from the surrounding areas came in to help, and the number of police searching reached 400 officers. Wow. Brush and wooded areas were being cleared, and small bodies of water like drains and ditches were being drained. That's never good when you start to look there. The police were trying to account for every possibility. Mm. Anything could have happened to the girls as there was no proof ruling out one particular option. So they had to keep all the options open. Had they run away? Possible, but unlikely. Mm. Both sets of parents said this was incredibly out of character for them both and neither girl had a history of running away before. Could they have got into an accident? There was Mm. always a chance that they were injured somewhere, but why would they wander so far from home that they got stuck? Could they have been the victims of an accidental hit and run? Could they have been abducted by a passing predator? If so, were they still in the local area, somewhere kept alive and imprisoned, or had they been whisked far away by now? There was nothing that the police could definitively rule out, and that is what made the early days of the investigation so challenging. The tiny town of Soham quickly became filled with journalists as the media descended. With every search party, camera crews followed their every move. Those not local to the area were watching closely to their TV screens and reading the newspapers every single day. Thousands. Everyone in the country wanted to find out what happened to these two little girls. Mm -hmm. There is something incredibly gripping about watching a case as it unfolds in front of you. So in recent years in America, we've had the case of Laurie Vallow and Chad Daybell. That was what I thought of because the world is watching as people begin to slowly put the pieces together. So as a case is literally unfolding right in front of you and you're watching the developments. There's something about that that's really... Yeah. People can't see you nodding. 
<laughs> so th- there is something about that though that's really gripping and I feel like as if you check the news every day and each time you look something new's come out a new development and it does make you want to know more it does it really does it it grips your interest and it you it always feels like there must be something that you can contribute towards to give other people knowledge about it yeah and help even if out. even if that's just contributing discussion yeah i think that's why like online forums about true crime are so popular is because people can just like bring their ideas together yeah yeah definitely. and yeah i think that's really important mm-hmm. um and that's kind of what was going on here there wasn't really online mm-hmm. forums in 2002 anywhere near the level of it is now mm-hmm. but um people were talking about yeah, it verbal conversation. everybody everybody mm-hmm. was talking about it yeah um this is exactly what happened in England in 2002. The nation watched transfixed, everyone desperately hoping for the best outcome, but realizing that with each day that passed, it became less and less likely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In one television interview, David Hankins, the detective superintendent of the Cambridgeshire Police, said, quote, I'm a realist. I know most 10-year-old children would have been seen, would have made contact with an adult, would have found home. They would have done something to bring attention to the fact that they are away from home. We've had nothing from these two very responsible young girls. My gut feeling is that they have possibly come to some harm. End quote. Okay, that's very on point. It's on point and it's sad. It's very sad. But it just really does give a glimpse into kind of what everyone was thinking but nobody wanted to say it yeah massive elephant in the room yeah because you want these children to be alive but also you have to face the possibility they may not be yeah on the 6th of august football legend david beckham had heard of the disappearance of two of his young fans and he made an appeal for the girls to come home i remember if they had left of their own free will so he said quote please go home you're not in any kind of trouble your parents love you deeply and want you back end quote Mm-hmm. Obviously, he is now, but also at the time, he was one of the biggest names in football on the planet. He was iconic. He, I mean, he still fucking is. Yeah. Everyone knows who he is. But at the time, he was the captain of the England team. He also played for United as well. Yeah. And Manchester United is one of the most famous teams in the world. So this appeal by him put the case in the eye of the national media. And it was now fully in the spotlight. It was incredible. I think because they were his fans and because he knew that he had an enormous platform, yeah. he could make an appeal. And I think as well they were hoping that that would resonate. Like if Holly and Jessica had run away yeah, or like if their friends knew something, that mm-hmm. having someone like David Beckham yeah. would be like, oh we could God, talk about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that they can, they can go home. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, it didn't work. But no. it did push the case even more into the spotlight so Mm -hmm. everyone that didn't know about it now knew about it yeah like if there's that one person that isn't watching the news and they're watching the sports they're now still gonna know yeah it's gonna get everyone knew it's gonna cover every damn base you can think of so the next day by the time the 7th of august had come around there was still no trace of holly or jessica Mm -hmm. the case was officially now treated as an abduction Police came to the conclusion that if they had come to harm from an accident or had run away, mm-hmm. something would have been found by now. Definitely. Like If they had had an accident, we would have been able to find something at this point. Mm-hmm. It's been too long. Though. Yeah. So now people were thinking this is deliberate. Mm-hmm. Something is being deliberately concealed. Every shop in town had posters of the two girls with the £150,000 reward in big letters at the top. Mm-hmm. The whole town was incredibly invested and everyone who lived there was getting involved with searches, talking to the police, talking Mm. to the press, trying to help in any way they could. One such man was Ian Huntley. And you know who that is because you grew up here. Everyone who lives in this country knows who Ian Huntley is. And everyone, like eyes will just dilate a little bit and go... What about him? No one likes him. A former special constable with the Cambridgeshire Police called Sharon mm. Gilbert remembers her encounter with him in a documentary made for Channel 5, which mm. I watched when I was researching this, and yeah. it was really well made, so I recommend it. Oh, okay. She recalls sitting inside her police car on the 7th of August when he approached the car to talk to her. Mm. And this wasn't unusual yeah. because it's a small town, huge police presence, super unusual. People were interested in what was yeah, going on. So she said that this a lot of people did this, it wasn't weird. Mm-hmm. Some didn't have a lot of crime, so this amount of police presence was very unusual. Mm-hmm. And officers did face a lot of questions and curiosity from just random members of the That'd public. Be quite jarring for them as well. Yeah, exactly. So, however, Ian Huntley came up to Sharon, leaned on the open door of her car, mm-hmm. and within a few seconds of talking to her, asked mm-hmm. the question, quote, 
how long does DNA evidence last for? End quote. <laughs> wow, okay, Mr. Subtle. <laughs> yeah. So, weirdly, during the conversation, he what also told fuck? Sharon how he was a caretaker at the local secondary school. He told her that the school was normally safely locked up, but that the previous caretaker before him had left under dubious circumstances. Mm. Ian himself had only been working there since November the previous year, which is about like eight months or so. Yeah. Huntley confessed to the officer that he suspected the old caretaker was sneaking in and out of the school without anyone knowing about it, and he mm. probably still had a key. That would be scary. Yeah, I but I just I mean this dude is but obviously also, like just he's projecting laying. himself it's not that i think he's sowing seeds here for like yeah definitely cover. sowing seeds yeah so the, he's like i'm just gonna plant this idea with you now it's this and then guy, head out not me yeah so, so i'm just gonna tell him. you that there's some like shifty guy who has a key to the school that i work out that i work out but it's not me it's not me it's him so yeah the guy that you won't be the other guy him. that maybe doesn't exist go look over there instead oh yeah so yeah if you find anything weird in this school it's probably the guy who's been sneaking in there it's not me it's, it's not me it's yeah <laughs> so sharon was like Dude, I'm a police officer. What the fuck? Yeah. So she spoke to her sergeant immediately because yeah. she knows what's up. Of course. It was an and the sergeant told her that because it was a missing persons case, she mm. would have to phone the inquiry line to report her suspicions. Yeah. She couldn't go directly through her her su- yeah. superior officers. She had to phone the inquiry line like fucking everyone else. <sighs> I find that kind of weird. It's but okay. unbelievable. Yeah, I fi- anyway, that's exactly what Sharon did. Because yeah. she was like, this is what I need to do. I'm going to do it. Yeah, so as soon as she clocked off that day, she got home and called the inquiry line. She left all the details of her encounter. Mm-hmm. She told them that he was someone that needed to be seriously looked at. Because yeah. she felt the way in which he was talking, he was covering something up. It's also very bold of him exactly. to go over there and say And that. I'm just going to say as well, Sharon mm. had the advantage of having women's intuition as well, yes. which is a fucking real thing. It and is. if you don't believe me, we can fight about it. Yeah. Because being a woman, you have to be looking over your shoulder all the time. You're on constant alert you to just Predators. Survive. Because yeah. people want something you have all mm-hmm. the time as mm. a woman, mm-hmm. which is scary. And so, yeah, having that sense of, like, if someone is dodgy or not is mm-hmm. so important. It's a real thing. We can fight about it if you don't believe me. Prepare and she police. also had the gut instinct of a police officer. She so did. she had those yeah. two things. So she knew that something wasn't quite right. Mm-hmm. It turns out that this wasn't the first time that Ian Huntley had got himself involved with the investigation. Oh, yeah, we're only oh. like three days in, and yeah. this is the second time he's sh- like shoehorned himself in there. So the night that Holly and Jessica went missing, like the very night, yeah, yeah. at like 11 p.m. when the search was underway, mm. he actually met Jessica's mom and sister. <gasps> yeah. I hate him even more. Yeah, you genuinely look surprised oh, right then I when I said that. punch him with a knife. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that's called stabbing someone. <laughs> So they asked him, have you seen the girls? And he told them he hadn't. He then continued to help with the search. Oh, so is he helping or like covering up bits of DNA that he may have left? He's doing that thing. You know when predators... a good part of the community. You know, people like serial killers and repeat offenders will often Mm -hmm. insert themselves into the investigation because Mm -hmm. they're fucking losers with nothing else to do. And this is exactly what he was doing. Right, as soon as it happened, he was like, I'm just going to put myself in here. I was, so when I was writing, I'm just going to go off on a little side thing for a moment. When I was writing this episode, I was thinking like for the people that don't know this case, Mm -hmm. having like someone who was very like friendly with the media, friendly with the police, like a part of the community in the school, having that person turn out to be like a super dodgy suspect is quite a good twist, especially as people that were watching the news would see him in interviews talking about his experiences mm-hmm. and it unfolded for us in like that kind of like holy shit realization moment mm-hmm. and i wanted to kind of put it in so that for people who don't know the case they would also have that moment but then i realized that he's such a fucking idiot <laughs> and it's yeah. so obvious the whole time yeah, he makes it obvious for me. and That's it's like me. i can't do a reveal no you can't no. because He's such a dumb bastard. Yeah, he incriminates himself, like, from stepping And on. as well, like, I just don't think I can refrain from talking about him in a horrible way. I can't either. I can't. I can't. And it's like, I can't. I can't do it. So I'm sorry there's no big reveal. 
I, I yeah, it's but, not gonna like, happen. Living through it when but, it was ongoing, it was a fucking massive like. Oh my god! god it was god. a reveal, but kind of like I don't really remember how I felt about him because I, as a twelve-year-old, well, I didn't. Shock in the media. I didn't give a shit about him. Yeah, I cared about Holly and Jessica. Mm-hmm. So when people were talking about Ian Huntley, I was like, "Fucking whatever! I don't care about him. Tell me what happened to them." Mm-hmm. But like, as I'm older now and I'm watching this, and as well, I remember Mum saying, he's got "Like, cold eyes." No, she said he's got shifty eyes. She said cold to me. She said shifty to me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like it's Mum fucking hated him. She did from, from the beginning. She, really she never him. liked him. Yeah. Anyway, we're gonna get back on track. I've taken us off on a tangent yeah. as usual. Where mm-hmm. the fuck am I up to? The police had a canine unit that was used on the first night and they wanted to search the college because they were searching everywhere. So the secondary school, remember, is where Ian is a caretaker. So he, as the caretaker, had the keys and he took them around the premises of the secondary school. So is the college attached to the secondary school? It's one building, yeah. So some places refer to it as a college, some places refer to it as a secondary school. But it's one thing. Yeah, so the town is not very big. They've got two Mm -hmm. primary schools, and then anyone who's older than 11 goes to the secondary school slash college. Mm -hmm. That's it. Um, So that's where he worked, and that's where the police with the canine unit wanted to search, because they were literally going around every sort of establishment Mm. looking just in case um so he took them around the premises however they reached one particular building on the school property it's like a hangar that they use as a storage unit um and then they got there and he was like yeah i don't have the key for this what (laughs) yeah okay Um, break in and that building was left unsearched what yeah Oh, what the hell? So, yeah, so they didn't have... Yeah, so he was like, yeah, no, sorry, guys, I don't have the key for this particular one storage unit. And they were like, yeah, sure, fella. And then carried on. I know, I know. I know that I don't need to mention to anyone who's listening the relevance of somebody inserting themselves into the investigation. And participating Mm -hmm. the first night's search was not the only time he would make himself known. No. He also volunteered, having seen them the day they disappeared. He was like, yeah, I'm also a witness. Uh, Great. So on the 8th of August, the police released a timeline based around sightings that they believed to be credible. So... What? What's wrong with that? I don't like him. I know. So on the 8th of August, the police released an official timeline Mm -hmm. based on sightings that they thought were like it, right? And on this list was a sighting reported by Ian Huntley, who said he'd seen Holly and Jessica walking towards the library. The library was in the centre of town, away from each of their homes, so this sighting was important as it gave the girls' movements a direction. Mm-hmm. Naturally, as the press was now really obsessed with the case, and this was fresh new information that had just been released, mm-hmm. reporters wanted to talk to Ian Huntley, and he was more than happy to oblige for the waiting cameras. Yeah, he was really eager to... Yeah. So one reporter by the name of Brian Farmer, who wanted to get the inside scoop on this sighting, Mm. um, went to talk to him. Because what if it was the last sighting of the girls? What if, you know, I mean, that could be really vital information. So he wanted to get that interview. Yeah, you want it verified and and exclusive. So Brian visited the home that Huntley shared with his girlfriend, Maxine Carr. Maxine was actually a teaching assistant at the primary school that Holly and Jessica attended, Mm. and she'd actually been an assistant in their class. Wow. Maxine had a handmade card that Holly had made for her, and she showed it off and and held it up for photos, and she was there looking sad with this card. And Brian, excited at this chance to get inside knowledge from someone who knew the girls at school, asked Mm. Maxine if the girls had been taught at school about stranger danger, and she confirmed that they had. So Brian then asked Maxine how she thought the girls would react if, say, for example, a man pulled up next to them in a car and told them to get in. Mm. Because, I mean, she's met them. She knows them. She's been an assistant in their class. So he was like, if I ask this woman, she'll actually know because she's she's met them. Yeah. So I'll let a quote from Brian himself tell this part of the story. So Mm -hmm. in an interview with Channel 5, he said, quote, that was when the interview became a bit strange because before she had the chance to answer me, Ian Huntley answered. And he said, well, Holly would probably get in and be quiet, but Jessica would fight and go mad. And I remember thinking then, how can he know? And that was what made me think, there's something not right here, end quote. Mm, very not right. 
Yeah. It's also when Sally get help as help that he feels comfortable talking over this lady. Oh, yeah. So he did not have a problem interrupting her Mm -hmm. in front of this reporter. So during this interview, Huntley divulged to the reporter some more details about the sighting that he had of the girls. Mm -hmm. He actually spoke to them. It's not like he saw them from across the road or something. He said that he'd taken his dog for a walk and the dog got all wet and muddy and he was washing the dog outside. The girls saw him and stopped to say hello and asked him if Miss Carr was home and how she was doing. Brian told Channel 5 that he clarified with Huntley several times whether or not they said anything else to him, and he assured them that they did not. Mm. What Brian felt was strange, though, is that the girls apparently didn't say anything to him about the dog. He believes that this story is about a conversation that adults would have with each other. Mm. So Ian Huntley, in telling this story is telling it from the perspective of a grown man, Mm, whereas the reporter, Brian, believes that two 10-year-olds would have been more interested in the cute dog getting a bath. And that's a good point because Mm -hmm. it's one of those things that just seems a bit weird and it makes this whole encounter just seem really off. Yeah, something is is definitely not... There's truths being withheld. Oh, yeah. Faux show. Ian Huntley was not done getting his 15 minutes of fame. Later on that very same day, literally that day, he also gave an interview to the BBC, which is a pretty big deal. That's And he was probably loving every second of it. Yeah. So he's sitting in his living room and the reporter asks if he lives the moment again and again in his mind. Oh, I bet he does. And he confesses that he does and says... I have a quote from him and he's disgusting so I didn't really like anyway he says quote absolutely yeah it's just very upsetting you know to think that I might be the last friendly face that these two girls spoke to before something happened to them end quote he's so grimy and creepy and literally I shit you not the next (laughs) sentence says he definitely looks slimy in this interview (laughs) I didn't even see that yeah like (laughs) you always know what my next line is gonna be (laughs) He looks slimy as fuck. He does. His eyes are just blank. He has a really pathetic face. He's got a really pathetic shitty face. He looks kind of like if a cabbage patch kid got hooked on meth. And then it went kind of fluffy as cabbages do. He's Anyway. So his eyes are blank. They're completely empty, devoid Mm -hmm. of anything. And his mouth looks like he's trying really hard not to smile. Like there's a creepy little Mm. smile just under the surface that he's trying not to show. But just with those dead eyes, it's like fucking hate you it's like that was not any type of friendly face they saw no absolutely Stop complimenting not yourself. by the time the girl he fucking loves himself by he the does. Way. like i will get into it later but he thinks yeah. he's all that he thinks he's hot shit he's not shit he's he is shit he is shit yeah damn he's but right not, he's shit <laughs> but not the shit no just shit yes so by the time the girls had been missing for 10 days people were beginning to criticize the police Cambridgeshire police called a televised conference and surprised the nation by making a direct appeal to the person who was responsible for the disappearance of Holly and Jessica. The officer in charge, weirdly, his name is David Beck. Ooh. Just David Beck. (laughs) That's really sweet. So, So the officer in charge, David Beck, revealed that he personally left an answer phone message on Jessica's phone. Wow. And that if the kidnapper listened to it, he could reach out to him and there would be a way for them to work it out. Yeah, that's fine. It's a clever idea. It's very smart. The thing is, the police didn't care about whether the kidnapper listened to the message. What they wanted was for the person who had the phone to switch it on. That's because point, if yeah. Jessica's phone was turned on, it would ping off a tower and they would have some idea as to where the girls were, mm-hmm. or at least where the phone and the perpetrator were. Yeah. However, this didn't work and the police didn't get any closer to finding the location of the girls or the person who might have them. I know. That's so strange. So two days after this, on the 12th day, the police had a leadership change. Mm -hmm. Detective Superintendent Chris Stevenson took over the investigation and they went back to the drawing board. So they were like, fuck off this whole thing. Let's start from square one again. So Stevenson decided that a good place to start would be witnesses. And the last potential sighting of Holly and Jessica was obviously from Ian Huntley. So the Mm. police zeroed in on him. They didn't mention anything about this to the desperately waiting press at the time, but behind the scenes, the police were beginning to look pretty closely at the college caretaker who kept inserting himself into the investigation. 
But the press didn't need the police to point them in the direction of Huntley. He kept doing interviews and the more people saw his face, the more people began to ask questions. He was making himself a key figure in the investigation over and over again. I'm kind of getting secondhand embarrassment off this guy. He's so cringy. He thinks he's he's hot shit. He really thinks he's great. he's like, I know everything, but no one knows except the bits I'll tell them. Yeah. But he doesn't realise that he looks shifty as fuck. Yeah, he's... So his girlfriend, Maxine Carr, also didn't shy away from the cameras. In Mm. one interview with Jeremy Thompson, who's a leading reporter for Sky News, she showed off the card again, telling the cameras about Holly. Describing her thoughtful nature, she says, quote, that's the kind of girl she was, a very sweet little girl, end quote. That's the kind of girl she was. Yeah, past tense. Why is that being The producers (laughs) for the interview spoke to Thompson afterwards, saying that it was weird she used the past tense. Mm The couple were beginning to look more and more... Eh? <laughs> yeah, like, is you in this together kind of thing? Yeah, thing? like, what, what, what is this? this? So, while the police were wondering what was going on with Ian and Maxine, mm. the police, under the direction of Chris Stevenson, were carrying on with their own work. They knew that Jessica's phone was a key piece of information in this case. Mm. It wasn't the only way that... No, it was the only way... (laughs) (laughs) It was the only way the girls' movements could be tracked. But they didn't have the phone and it wasn't switched on. They did manage to get hold of phone records from the service provider. Mm. So obviously those records were not as detailed and exact as they would be now in terms of locations and stuff because there was no GPS. But they did tell the police that the phone was turned off at at 6.46pm. So when you power a phone off, it sends like a goodbye signal out into the world that then pings or something. Yeah. So that little goodbye signal was pinged Mm. off when it was switched off at 6.46pm. And this was about 30 minutes after they were last seen on CCTV crossing the car park at the leisure centre. Right. So they they left the house, they bought sweets, they crossed the road at the leisure centre. And then 30 minutes after that happened, the phone was turned off. Right. So that's the timeline for sure that we know. Yeah. Not based on what people are saying they saw, but based on what technology is telling us is a fact. Yeah. And not only that... But the last location that the phone pinged off when it was powered down was the Burwell cell tower. Cell, blah, 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 I got it. <laughs> was the Burwell cell tower? Wasn't the Burwell cell tower? No, it wasn't. No? It wasn't oh. a towel. It wasn't anything else. <laughs> so there aren't a lot of phone towers in Soham. It's a bit out of the way. Mm. The area served by the Burwell tower doesn't cover a very large area, but one place it does cover. Mm-hmm. is a small area right outside Ian Huntley's house. Of course it is. I'm not shocked, but, you know, at least there's this cemented fact on that. Because it could speculate and, oh, I bet he did it, but that doesn't prove anything. Exactly. But so his pain does. Yeah. So armed with this knowledge, the police called a community meeting. Mm. The police insinuated that someone in that room knew something about what happened to the girls and urged everyone present to examine their conscience. And that the police would find out what happened. Mm. Ian Huntley was in the room. Good. He was there. He was leaning on the wall at the back. As creepy caretakers do. <laughs> I know, right? He, the only thing that would have made it better is if he had like a broom or something with him at the yeah, time to I like mean, look he was real probably creepy covered in broom dust because this guy doesn't shower. If you watch it, <laughs> you'll dust. see he's literally. He actually, he actually apparently did take a lot of care of his appearance. He would always make sure that he looked good. You can't like tell. what he thought was no. You can't tell. He looks like shit. He but I mean, like I will. He does, but I, I will. Hate. I mean, rats are cute though. This guy was not cute. Oh, this guy. No, not this one. This one was like a poop rat. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> where am i up to um yeah so oh this is funny so after the meeting was over yeah huntley actually approached detective chief inspector oh andy hebb to ask him a question oh, he wanted to know so like how so like so like how would the abductor listen to the message if the phone battery was dead or if that, the phone had been destroyed <laughs> because you know that's like a totally normal question to ask if you haven't kidnapped and killed two children this gives me the same energy as btk being like if i send you this yeah floppy if disk, i send you, you this floppy me, disk right? you won't be able to promise choose me right yeah yeah this promise, is, please. but yeah he literally <laughs> went up to the dude in charge and was like so like hypothetically how would like the abductor listen to this message if the phone was destroyed by me i mean the perpetrator yeah like not the guy in that locked up shed that I didn't give you a key for. So, 
It's also interesting to note that later on, Huntley's phone records would show that earlier on this day, he had spent over a minute checking through all the voicemail messages on his phone. What for? Who would call him? No, but so basically what this is, is that the police issued a thing saying, yeah, we've left a voicemail for the, for the abductor on Jessica's oh, phone. And right. then later on that day, he was frantically checking his own voicemails <laughs> like a fucking dumbass. Like, and then he goes yeah. to this meeting and he's like, yeah, how do I check voicemails? <laughs> <laughs> so the pressure was amping up. Police yeah. wanted Huntley to feel like a cornered animal. Yeah, his yeah. capture imminent. And it worked. The press following his every movement looked like it was wearing him down. And by the time police hold him in for questioning, he was considerably more nervous than the swaggering, cocky loser that had been on TV. Good. But how did the police know to question him in detail? Because you can't just... Based on this... Yeah, this alone You is... can't drag him into the police station and like give him an eight-hour interrogation. You can't do that based no. on he's kind of a weird dude. <laughs> yeah. Like, Because at the moment... He's just been a really fucking weird dude. Yeah, so he's a a caretaker at school. Mm -hmm. How old is he? This point, 28. Right. Okay, just because when I hear caretaker, I usually think a guy in his 40s. Yeah, no, so Ian Huntley is literally, he's 28 years old. He's not very old. That's gross, that's my age. That's your age. Yeah. So he's not... Like he shouldn't have had a. He's not old and creepy. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. He's young and you know, quote unquote, fresh looking. Yeah, so he's he's a young guy. He takes care of his appearance. He's very superficially charming. He Mm -hmm. loves talking to women. He's very confident. He's very confident. So he's not like. He's definitely not like Ted Bundy levels of like swag and cool, but like. I mean, Ted Bundy was a piece of shit. He's not cool. But you, you know nice. what I mean? He was yeah. very good at pretending to be that. With it. But this guy is kind of like... Kind of like a budget version. He's like a pothole in the road. What? Bumpy. <laughs> oh my god. You come out with the weirdest shit. Yeah, but it makes uh, sense. I mean, that's why I have you as my co-host. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, I'm just gonna... So Ian Huntley went from a person of interest to a suspect when one particular tip came in. Mm. So they got a, a juicy tip. This was like yeah. a thick, juicy tip. So obviously he had plastered himself all over the TV in the newspapers. <laughs> which meant that the basically I didn't do it, but which meant that me. lots of people saw his shitty round face. Yeah, it was and gross. he was recognized back in his hometown of Grimsby, where he already had a reputation for being a massive predatory asshole. Oh, that's gross. Yeah. That's so gross. people saw him and were like, hey, like he's it. that weird gross guy. That we kicked Why out is he town? talking about like missing children? He's missing children. And missing DNA. Yeah. So the witness who came forward saw him Mm. on the news and this person called the Grimsby Live, which is a local newspaper. So they didn't call the police, they called the the local Grimsby paper Mm, and reported that Ian Huntley actually had a criminal past and suggested they take a look in some of their own old articles. Oh my God. I know, Uh, right? Imagine being that person like... (laughs) Yeah, imagine getting that tip and being like, holy shit. So... Mm. The person who got this call, the reporter actually went through their own archives and checked everything. And they found the earlier investigations into Huntley and his crimes and then called it into the police in Humberside. Oh my god! I know, I know. So when the police looked into who Ian Huntley was and the crimes he'd been accused of previously, Mm. it was like turning over a rock and seeing all the insects skittering around underneath. Oh, yes. Shall we take a look into who Ian Huntley is? Yeah. I hope you're ready to flip this fucking rock because it's been raining and there's a lot of shit under here i'm not you know <laughs> well you're gonna i mean brace yeah. yourself <laughs> so huntley was born in grimsby at the end of january 1974 he got picked on in school a lot and the bullying was so bad that he actually had to change schools That's so it must sad. have been really bad yeah. obviously being bullied as a child is terrible yeah, but you yeah. can't feel bad for this man because yeah. as we will find out he is a massive predator mm. whenever like lots of criminals and people who do awful things to other people yeah. seem to have been bullied in school or had bad things happen to them as a child. Yeah. And I always feel sorry for that person as at a child yeah. at that moment. Mm-hmm. Like when Ian Huntley was like a little boy in school and he was being mercilessly bullied, that's terrible. Yeah, when I and say, no, oh, that's sad. Yeah, that's yeah. What I'm Same about. here. Like no child should go to school and be harassed by their classmates. That's shitty and terrible, and no one deserves that. But then you make your fucking choices as you grow up. Oh, definitely. And you decide who you are going to be. And basically, this dude 
chose all the wrong things. And mm-hmm. he decided that actually, no, I'm going to use my life to be a massive cunt to people for no reason. Yeah. And so, yeah. Those. So fuck this guy. Obviously, yeah. As he grew older, it became abundantly clear that he was interested in girls younger than he was. His physical appearance was incredibly important to him, and he definitely viewed himself as a bit of a ladies' man. When he was 18, he had a bit of a reputation for hanging out with 13-year-old girls. (laughs) So so he was 18, hanging out with 13-year-old girls. He pays me because he works in a school. It was not a good reputation to have. Why? But like... Obviously, as you get older and older and older, mm-hmm. say an age gap of like five years, because this is a five-year age gap we're talking yeah. here. Mm-hmm. That's if you say like thirty and your partner's thirty-five. That's not weird. Yeah, there's nothing not weird that. about that at it's all. The fact but it's, it's a thirteen-year-old. Like, but it's a thirteen-year-old, and when you're younger, yeah, the development in between those two ages is astronomical. Massive. So a thirteen-year-old is so incredibly different from an eighteen-year-old, yeah. and like even, like obviously, lots of thirteen-year-old girls try and make themselves look older by putting on makeup and wearing like clothes and stuff because it's cool yeah. and they want to be cool and it's fun. But you're, you're even then, when if a thirteen-year-old girl dresses herself up to try and look like an adult woman, you know. That it's a child. Yeah, it doesn't it just, justify anything it you want to do. And it's like, so I cannot think of any, like... There's no good reason for it. These there's no good alone. reason for it. An 18-year-old man has no business hanging around with 13-year-old girls enough to get a reputation for it. It's just gross. The only circumstance I can think of is if it's like your little sister yeah, and you're like hanging out brother. with her. Yeah, That's literally it. That's yeah. the only thing. <laughs> that's it. But yeah, so he at 18 years old, he'd already got a reputation That's so for being a bit of a fucking pedo. What a waste. I know. So when Jeez. he was 20, he actually got married. Wow, that's quick. Yeah, I know. What? So to an adult. So yeah. I mean, barely an adult. His new wife, Claire Evans, was 18 years old and the two had only been dating for a few weeks. Ooh. However, it went quicker than it came and Claire moved out <laughs> from him within only days of being wed. Wow. Some relatives yeah. of Claire have said that he beat her so badly she miscarried a pregnancy. That's awful. It's fucking horrific. Interestingly, in mm. a move straight out of Alabama, she moved right into the place of Ian's younger brother, Wayne. Oh. Yeah, so she left him a few oh. days after they got married, and she shacked up with his little brother. Oh. Ooh. I always find it really weird when it's people bad. date siblings of people they've already dated. It's really weird. I think it's because you and I are so close. Yeah, it just definitely. seems really weird. Like, if, say, let's just say, like, something terrible happened mm. and David left me. Yeah. If he started dating you, I would be like, that's the grossest shit that, <laughs> like... me would feel like incest. <laughs> it's, it's just so disgusting. Wrong, but it's even if you've wrong. only dated someone for a few weird. weeks, how can you then move on to their sister or their brother? It's just... It's weird. fucking weird. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I think it's weird. But like, then, anyway, so this happened. As yeah. I'm sure you can imagine, Ian Huntley was not happy with this arrangement. Mm. So Wayne and Claire ended up actually falling in love and wanting to get married themselves. Mm. Like, after years or whatever. Yeah, okay. um, Ian refused to divorce Claire purely out of spite to prevent her from being able to marry his brother. That's awful. He eventually caved in, but it took five years. And wow, he eventually divorced time. her in 1999. So, in the year following his wife leaving him in 1995, Mm. he had sexual interactions with underage girls, with children. Bearing in mind, at this point, he is 20, turning 21. Three of these girls were 15 years old, and one of them was only 13. Oh, my God, that's It wasn't just having sex with children that he liked, though. He Uh also committed other crimes during this phase of his life. Mm -hmm. He would break into other people's flats and steal. In 1995, he broke into a neighbor's apartment and stole electrical goods, jewelry, and cash. He was charged with this, but the case didn't go to court until 1998. He carried on by having two more relationships with underage girls, both of them 15 years old, one of them getting pregnant with his child in 1998. And 1998 would be an interesting year for Ian Huntley, as in April, an 18-year-old woman came forward saying that he had raped her. Huntley denied this, and the accusation never went to court. However, people that might have still been saying that he was an alright kind of guy probably had their doubts when just a month following this, Mm. another 18-year-old went to the police with claims that he had also raped her. Mm. This incident took place down a poorly lit alley after a night out. Mm. 
Huntley was hauled into custody and Huntley said that the event was not assault but actually consensual. I fucking know, I know. Sophie's oh, face is just like... No oh. one would touch this guy with a 10-foot pole. I mean, children did. After he groomed them. Yeah, exactly. They were coaxed into Exactly. Doing that. So, like, but this is what I mean. Someone he thought he was all that, but he couldn't get, like, a emotionally stable adult woman yeah, no to want to touch him. Consent to exactly. He exactly. had to manipulate them so, heavily. Exactly. So he had to... Yeah, so the only people that he could get to want to touch him mm-hmm. were emotionally unstable, some emotionally unstable adults yeah. or children that he could easily manipulate. That's mm-hmm. it. Yep. Yeah, and he thought he was hot shit because of it. No. <laughs> oh, I fucking hate this man so much. Um, what was I up to? Yeah, so CCTV footage from the nightclub where the girl spent her evening showed that she and Huntley were dancing together and the Crown Prosecution Service came to the conclusion that this undermined her claim. Mm. and there was no realistic prospect of conviction, the case was thrown out. I'm not really shocked because there's so much victim blaming everywhere. So, compartmentalising my rage for just a moment, I want to take mm-hmm. a second to slag off Ian Huntley. Mm. So, when this was going on, he spent a week in custody, mm-hmm. and he would tell his friends afterwards when he got out that it was, quote, terrible, end quote. He's such a little insignificant piece of shit. What a fragile little tiny loser. Mm-hmm. He spent a week in custody and he's bitching and moaning about how terrible it was while he's been assaulting, manipulating and raping children. Because honestly, like we just said, even if the underage teenagers he was dating, cough, grooming, yeah. had thought that they were in a relationship with him, they're children. They are. It's rape. Mm-hmm. They're not, it's not a relationship. Plain and simple, it's, it's not consensual. So a couple of people had now come forward. And some others started to get a bit braver as well. Mm, A few months later, in July, a 12-year-old girl came forward saying that he had assaulted her the year before. He approached her in an orchard, assaulted her, put his hands around her neck, and told her that if she told anyone about it, he would kill her. Mm -hmm. Again, police decided there was not enough evidence to prosecute. The following year, in 1999, Mm -hmm. he was accused of rape by a 17-year-old. He got rejected in the pub and found another young girl to follow, so he took his rage out on her. Again, nothing happened as a result of this. He was also known in the area to follow young girls around. He had a reputation for following girls. What the fuck? After everything that's going to happen, happens... Several of his previous girlfriends came forward to talk about their experiences of being with him. The story was the same amongst all of them. At first, he would be very charming. Mm. After he established a sense of control, he would then become violent and domineering. This all sounds super familiar. It's textbook abusive relationship. He would dictate how she was allowed to see her family and friends, and he would become emotionally manipulative if she showed signs of wanting to leave him or end the relationship. Mm -hmm. At this point, he met Maxine Carr. They dated for only a month before moving in together. This didn't stop him from his shitty behaviour, though, as only five months after he moved in with her, he was interviewed by police in connection with another rape, this time of a 17-year-old. So all of this, is any of this being put on a permanent record or is it just like in the bin we'll get to that so it's being recorded but he's moving around from place to place a lot Mm. and the different police forces aren't communicating so like in Grimsby he got accused of like three or four rapes and he was dating kids and then he left because he was like everyone knows I'm a pedo here so I'm gonna go somewhere else and pedo somewhere else exactly so he went to go pedo somewhere else and then Mm. when that got too much he'd go pedo somewhere else and so on and so on and then yeah and then he met Maxine Carr and they started dating Mm. so Maxine Carr was not an angel either she was committing benefit fraud which admittedly in comparison to rape to raping children is pretty insignificant but it does show that she doesn't see herself as being above criminal activity it's a bit of a criminal exactly so however In a similar fashion to the exes revealing that he was controlling and abusive, Maxine Carr also felt the pain of being Ian Huntley's girlfriend. People who lived next door to them in 1999 would say that Huntley would lie on the sofa all day and shout at Maxine to do things for him. He would frequently lose his temper and fly into rages. He isolated her from her friends and would slap and beat her. One Mm. of the neighbours went around for a coffee with Maxine once when Ian Huntley was out. And as soon as she finished drinking the coffee, Maxine grabbed her cup and started to wash it. She then dried it, put it back in the cupboard where it came from, telling the neighbour that Ian didn't like it when people came in the house. Mm -hmm. And this reminds me of Aunt Hample in Phoebe Hansjog. When the friend came round for a drink Mm -hmm. and Phoebe immediately... No, it was the mum. 
when the mum came around for a drink and Phoebe yeah. immediately washed the glass and put it away because that's yeah. how I liked it. Mm-hmm. And that gave me this kind of vibes. Definitely. When you're in a relationship with someone who's so controlling, it can be really easy for people to say, why didn't she just leave? Mm-hmm. But you can't. There's so much emotional control that's mixed in there and it's also incredibly dangerous for a woman to leave an abusive partner. Mm-hmm. So the pair moved around a lot, like I said, to avoid the rape charges catching up with him. And he and he and, <laughs> and Ian Huntley also used the name Ian Nixon. And Nixon is his mother's maiden name. Yeah. So he used that name to try and like, not be connected with yeah. all the other shit he'd been doing. In yeah. yeah. Um, so by the time he and Maxine settled in Soham, Ian Huntley had had sexual contact with 11 underage girls, mm. broken into people's homes, so been cool. accused multiple times of rape and assault, had been reported to social services five times, and to Humber, Humberside Police... 10 separate times. Mm. It's abundantly clear from looking into his past that Huntley is desperate to be in absolute control in a relationship. He targets children and naive teenagers because they're easier to control and are more likely to tolerate his behavior and see it as normal. He knows that with the average adult woman, he wouldn't be able to get away with his shitty behavior. Mm -hmm, Exactly. And that's exactly it. One, can we put him in the bin? Yes. Two, I hate him. (laughs) Yeah. So yes, on both counts. Yes, Yes. we can put him in the bin. And two, I hate him Set it on fire just putting uh, just putting something in a bin and setting it on fire is like a really weird thing that you just said and we'll get to it later is that what happens to him no no i should have done Mm, we'll get to it Mm -hmm. so in soham Mm -hmm. ian got a job as the caretaker of the secondary school in the small town because obviously nobody looked into who he was. Yeah, no Shortly one. before Holly and Jessica went missing, one of the students at the school had a huge crush on him. Oh, and no. he had an affair with a colleague. Oh, for fuck's I sake. know. But remember, all of this was unknown to authorities yeah. when Holly and Jessica disappeared. The this? reporters did not have a clue who they were interviewing when they searched for the missing girls on camera. But once the tip came in, mm-hmm. it seems as though the suspicions of both the police and the press were confirmed. Because one with this long-term history, it's only going to escalate. Exactly, exactly. Well, we can see here that he's been escalating from like assaulting girls and touching them to raping them Mm -hmm. and threatening to kill them. And it's like the next step after rape and death threat. We know what that is. It's not looking good. It's never going to be enough for him. It's never going to be enough. Ian was dragged in for an interview with the police. Okay. He starts off by manspreading. So he right. sits leaning back with his legs spread wide open. He's mm. being interviewed by a female officer. Of so this definitely seems like some weird male show of dominance. Yeah, definitely. His speech is calm and controlled. However, the officer asks him to describe Holly. Just describe how she looked the last day you saw her. Just tell me what she looks like. Okay. He hesitates and takes very long pauses. At one point, he actually stopped speaking for a full minute. A full which, minute? A full minute. That's a long time. Which is what a long fuck? time. His position shifts and he leans forward with his yeah. elbows resting on his knees. And at one point, he puts his head in his hands. <laughs> Just when she said, what does she look like? Yeah. What did that... While Huntley was being interviewed, Maxine was also getting grilled by officers. She had provided an alibi for Ian, saying that she was at home cooking him a Sunday roast dinner. Mm -hmm. She took great lengths to describe the meal she cooked, going into detail about how she always cooks the beef the day before so she doesn't have to get up to do it all on Sunday. People who are used to talking to liars will already be familiar with the fact that when people lie, sometimes they give unnecessary detail to make it sound like it's more truthful. Mm Mm-hmm. Watching this interview with Maxine, it definitely seems as though she might be doing some of this. Mm. While Ian and Maxine were in the police station having their stories probed, their house had been cordoned off for a search. Police descended on the home while news crews waited outside and watched the police officers enter the house one by one. No statements were made by police as to what, if anything, they found in the house, and Huntley and Carl were actually released into a hotel that night. Mm -hmm. If they had done anything nefarious, they appeared to have gotten away with it for now but that would change soon actually it would change that evening police got into the storage area in the college where Huntley claimed he did not have a key to get in Mm. remember that during the first search there was Mm -hmm. a storage hangar yeah evidence was found hidden in that room which would accelerate the investigation and confirm the worst for everyone involved oh god and that's where we're going to leave this episode are you fucking serious that's where I'm I'm gonna leave yeah no yeah keep talking no 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 this is the the end of no this is not this is the end of part I will one. sit here <laughs> no. and die on this, this is, hill for you guys. <laughs> no, this is it. This is the end of part one. Now we'll carry on the story next week.
No, that's not allowed. It's. I'm sorry. We missed you. We missed you. Give us more information. That's it. No. We're gonna have to wait to see what was found in the room. Okay. How long do I have to wait? You don't have to wait a week. <laughs> but everyone else does. <laughs> yeah, they do. Um, but yeah, you still have to wait. Yeah, I'll, I'll wait. Like a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> You'll wait until I say you can. You can listen. Yeah, and then she'll go. It was beep. <sighs> well, but, that's that's all I have this week. Um, mm. This is only going to be a two-parter. Don't worry, I'm not going to drag it out over like a million episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I hope I hope anyone that knows this case already from the UK mm-hmm. is having it refreshed mm-hmm. in their heads. And I hope that there's a few things that are jogging your own memories of it. Yeah. I hope that you're able to remember your own experiences of Definitely. watching this happen. Um, if you want to share them with us on the Instagram post. I would, I would genuinely love to hear what other people in the UK remember. Definitely. Um, especially people that aren't necessarily our age. Like, people older than us will yeah. have a different experience of, mm-hmm. of going through this. Um, people younger than us might know the names, but they might not know what happened. Yeah. So I'd be interested to know that. Um, as well, like, anyone international that isn't familiar with this case... Please tell us what you think. I know. Or tell us if you've heard of it before, because mm-hmm. I'm interested to know. Um, if you want to send us a case recommendation, you can email us at creepsandcrimestorytime at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Um, please, if you have time, leave us a nice review. We like the fifth star best. The fifth star is the cutest That's one. the nicest one. Um, yeah, because it does, it does help. Um, it does help a lot. Yeah, so thank you for listening. And... Yeah. I have guess we'll day. see you. Have a lovely Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Be nice to each other and stranger danger. Don't stranger danger. Don't fucking yeah. Know. Be nice to everyone that you already know. Yeah. Be nice to your friends. Be nice to your family. And right now, make sure someone knows where you are. Make sure someone knows where you are all the time because yeah. there's predators out there. Yeah. Um, and you don't know who they are. But thank you for listening, yes. and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye bye.